0: This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka, and that is me. And I'm speaking to you from Hollywood, California. Beverly Hills, to be precise, uh, where the code conference just wrapped up. Really good event, really impressed with the speakers and really impressed with the people who put this thing together because it's really hard to put together an in-person event during COVID times, and, and they pulled it off. It was awesome. Um, two quick newsy conversations today. First, Dylan Byers, formerly of NBC News, now with Huck. Yes, it's the third person from fuck we've had in, in, in just a few months, is going to talk to us about big consolidation in the Hollywood agent industry and why that does and doesn't matter to the rest of us. And then we're checking in with Bijan Steven, uh, formerly of The Verge, now off on his own doing podcasts and other cool stuff about the world of streaming, specifically something called hate raids, which don't sound good and turns out they're not. And we should, uh, we'll talk to him about why that is. Uh, so first, here's me and Dylan Byers. I'm here with Dylan Byers, who is now the third person from Puck to be on this podcast in, in recent weeks. It's not just because I love Puck, but Puck's doing interesting <laughs> stuff, particularly about Hollywood right now. I hope we're paying you well. Uh, we're going to discuss that off air. <laughs> uh, Dylan, uh, Dylan is on because he had a cool scoop the other day. Uh, big Hollywood Insider News, CAA, big talent agency, is buying ICM, another big talent agency in Hollywood, shrinks the number of agencies from, from uh, four to three in Hollywood. So, Dylan, what does that mean beyond the fact that some agents are probably going to lose their jobs and one big agency is going to get bigger? What, what does that tell us about the world?
2: Yeah. You know, it's one of these things where there's such an overwhelming reaction of everyone saying this is such a huge deal and it's seismic. And oh, my God, that you know, a few years ago, I could never thought something like this could have happened. And yet it's also the kind of thing where there's not a ton to say about it. And there's there's not a ton that, that is surprising to anyone who covers the industry, which is, In the same way that you're seeing consolidation among the studios and among the big media companies, and and there's a lot of M&A that has happened and there's a lot more M&A that will happen, uh, the same thing has to happen across the industry. And so the same thing is happening with talent representation. They need scale, too. Scale is the name of the game. And ICM had liked to think of itself as sort of being in the quote unquote big four of Hollywood talent agencies, uh, and it certainly was bigger than than the fifth agency, but it wasn't as big uh, as as the big three, and certainly not as big as WME and CAA. And so, you know, as one Hollywood source told me, they they had to give up. They had to accept that uh, accept that this was the moment. This was a great time to have an exit, and CAA saw an opportunity to add a little more heft to its representation business. So,
0: you know, I think if you're listening to this podcast, you have a sense of what a Hollywood agent does. It's still the same thing they've done for a long time, which is they represent talent, whether they're directors or writers or actors, obviously, uh, and and they get them into projects and they get a fee for that work. Over the years, they have tried, particularly uh, William Morris Endeavor, uh, run by Ari Emanuel has tried to sort of transform themselves into something more than that. The uh, endeavor now owns um, big sports franchises like the UFC, but it's still this sort of basic business. We had Ari Emanuel on stage at the Code Conference in in Los Angeles, where I'm talking to you from, uh, the other day, and and. You know, as you would expect him to say, saying, "Oh, the business—the business is great. The business of representing talent is great because the move to streaming means that there's more money spent than ever. That money goes to my clients. This is good. If the streaming wars are resulting in billions and billions of dollars being thrown around, money of which goes to talent, why? I get why the big studios have to consolidate." And the streamers have to consolidate. But if you're in the business of representing Shonda Rhimes or an art director, whoever it is, or a writer, why do you need to consolidate if all this money is flowing
2: into Hollywood? Sure. I mean, well, one, one theory is that all of these companies are positioning themselves for public offerings at some point. Alternatively, another way to look at it is just that when you, the more talent that you have in your ranks and and the more folks you represent, the greater leverage you have in terms of getting deals for your clients. But I think what's most notable about what you said is that, and, and perhaps this is the biggest takeaway from this news, is that CAA with this deal is going in a different direction than William Morris Endeavor is, which is like you said, WME has really expanded beyond the representation business. So they've acquired IMG, UFC, professional bull riders, a uh, number of other sports and entertainment businesses. By the way, I
0: laughed when I saw professional bull riders thing, but it's a real thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> it's a, it's it's people real people thing. pay to watch this stuff.
2: They do. And in fact, the, the very same day that this deal got announced, uh, uh, Ari you know, had his own deal going on in terms of buying a, a sports I believe, a European sports betting business. So they're continuing to make these acquisitions that take them well beyond the representation business. What CAA got with this was bulking up that traditional representation business. And I think the question for some people is, will CAA ever decide to pursue the Endeavor route and try and expand and diversify its business or does it tend to really just do what what agencies have traditionally done, which is represent and package talent?
0: The idea of packaging talent is, is something that CAA sort of uh, pioneered uh, 30-ish years ago. Uh, Jim Miller has a big oral history of CAA where he talks all about how, how how the company sort of became at one point a huge, huge power player in Hollywood. It wasn't just that they were getting a cut of their talent's fees, they were putting stuff together and assembling packages and saying, we have this director and this actor and this screenwriter, you're going to buy them all together. And there was a period at least in which the agencies really seemed like they were sort of the kingpins in Hollywood. I don't get that sense anymore. It seems like they're much more, I mean, they've always been a service business, but it seems like they they are they are not forefront uh, in the business. Now, is that is that accurate or am I missing? Yeah,
2: well, I think what the packaging thing got significantly complicated because of the fight with the writers guild and the writers guild effectively made it so that you couldn't package the writer with you, you couldn't put the writer in a package this is deal. A, this is a
0: couple years ago it's very it's inside couple, but it very it's meaningful very inside, for but, people in town
2: but it's important so so if you if if you don't understand this business basically what they could do is you could take a writer who you represented they could write a screenplay or a script you could take actors who you represented put them around that script. You could even take a director who you represented, put them around that script, and basically package the entire deal ready to go for a film studio or a television studio. And you would reap, for the agency, the benefits you would reap from that would be exponential based off of what you got by just representing one client at a time. And I think the writers, to the best of my understanding, the Writers Guild fight really through a wrench into that plan. And and that's why, you know, I mean, in part, that's why if you look at what Ari is doing at Endeavor, having a more diversified business might in the long term make a lot more sense.
0: So if I'm someone who is not in Hollywood and I'm not represented by an agent and, I, and no one in my family works at an agency, this doesn't affect me directly. Is this ever going to show up in terms of the kind of stuff that i get to watch whether it's at a at a theater or streaming on my phone does this stuff in the in the background affect what i'm going to see on a screen one day
2: i don't think so i mean i think that in in terms of this specific deal i mean the, the how agencies were able to go about packaging things definitely affected what you saw because projects were the agencies were playing a larger role in creating these projects so things that, you know, in an older Hollywood might have come together more organically were now coming to you and being, you know, movies and shows were being cast by virtue of whether or not those people belong to the same agency. And that that's, you know, not an exactly romantic way to think about mm-hmm. uh, how the great movies and TV shows come together. In terms of this deal, I don't think anything, you know, for, for the for the average viewer, I don't think anything will change. And part of that has to do with the fact that at the end of the day... CAA is beefing up its ranks, yes, but ICM was still relatively small. I mean, Ari made a joke, I think, or or a slight dig at the deal when he was on stage yesterday when he said I think what they bought was five incredible TV writers. There there's more to it than that. You know, ICM also represent has a book business, they have global sports, but I think the point is is you're basically adding a little less uh, extra muscle. And so for the consumer do they care who represents, you know, Shonda Rhimes or Regina King? My guess is yeah. no.
0: And, and Ari Emanuel also talked about, uh, you know, he has to be in the business now representing TikTok stars uh, mm-hmm. and whatever the so- next social platform is going to be, obviously uh I'm assuming that representing a TikTok star right now is not as remunerative as, as representing Shonda Rhimes. Um, and it's, but it seems like you have to do that work, and you probably have to hire a lot of people to do that work. Is that part of what's going on too? Is that you sort of a barbell where you've got Shonda Rhimes folks making a lot of money, maybe that middle class of, of Hollywood talent maybe getting less, and then a, a new crop of people making really not that much, but still interesting deals.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And I also think that again, this is another thing that scale gets you. You can make you can make a lot more bets, right? You can you can hire more people and go to work representing folks who you might think are, you know, big future talents who are going, going to be able to considerably move the needle. And you and you do need bodies for that. You can't automate that work. You do need bodies for that. And I think look, for those people who are in the industry, I think one thing that'll be interesting here with this deal is There are going to be a lot of people who lose their jobs and there might also be people who find new jobs at other agencies. And it'll be interesting, you know, if there are moments when these mergers or acquisitions happen where someone like Ari Emanuel might come in and say, oh, you know, there's there are one or two folks at ICM who I'm going to take advantage of this opening and try and poach them away before they move to CAA. And that'll be interesting.
0: I love reading and hearing about this stuff. Uh, I love that you're covering it. Uh, I'm not going to ask you what it's like to work at Puck since we've covered that in not one but two previous (laughs) interviews. So I'm going to sneak this in. It's a hell of a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. Congrats. Uh, I wish you luck. I will continue to read you. Thank you, Dylan Byers. Thank you, Peter. Thanks again to Dylan. In a moment, we're going to hear from B. John Stephen. But first, a word from a sponsor. Bijan Stephen, our our roving streaming correspondent, is back with us. Hey, <laughs>
3: sir, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you again for having me. Again, I, I, it's always a good time.
0: I'm always happy to have you. I normally, I used to describe you as my my Vox Media coworker over the Verge. That's not the case anymore. You're off doing your own thing.
3: Yeah, um, I'm I'm off doing a podcast. So now I'm more like you than I was before. It's called Eclipse. It's from Campside Media. It's premiering in November. Awesome. Let's give it let's give it a full promo at the
0: end. Yeah. Yeah. We'll for give sure. it a full yeah. pitch. Yeah, before you fully <laughs> morph into me. But um I love chatting with you in general and I, and I like having you on specifically to show me what's going on in the world of streaming which is Really foreign to me, because I'm just not that kind of guy, but it's important I want to keep tabs on it. And there was a story I saw recently and haven't had time to really dig into, and I'm hoping you can be my my cheap and easy explainer. Yeah, for sure. What are hate raids on Twitch, and why should we pay attention to them? <laughs> okay, so... They don't sound good, but they, maybe
3: they're really innocuous. I mean, spoiler alert, hate's in the name. It's it's right there on the tin. It's not great. Um, it's funny because... um. This is this is sort of always been a problem. I think one time, one of the times I was on the show, uh, I was talking about how raids were like my favorite part of Twitch, um, which is true. They're, I think, a very good part of Twitch and to refresh anyone's memory who doesn't remember and who, you know, hasn't been listening to the show for since, I guess, the when was the last time I was if, on show? If anyway. for
0: some reason you are visiting the show for the first time, hard to believe it, but, but, hard to but, believe. And, and
3: don't pay attention to streaming, what is a raid? What's a good raid? And so a raid basically is when you're live at the end of your stream, you can send all of the viewers who are watching you live to another streamer who is live, which is a really good way for like, you know, people to build audiences and connections. And it's one of those things that's, I think, it's one of the, it's part of the ecosystem of Twitch. It's very, I think it's very important.
0: Now that you're done watching me, go watch Bijan over here. Exactly, here's a, And here's exactly. a link? It's like, yeah. So we used to call this like an ad when, in the TV days,
3: right? Like well, next up on NBC, the, <laughs> it's a the show different. after Friends it's yeah, it's it's like that. and it's like that in that it's it's seamless. like you just it just transitions all of the people watching from one stream to another mm-hmm. instead of having to like post a link or something. and it's it's part of the culture. And basically, you know, for a good rate, people will like sometimes like you get surprised with a ton of viewers, sometimes it's a few viewers. But it's always great because it's always like here are new people who haven't seen what I do on this on this website here's what I do. It's a a chance for you to get in front of new audiences. And this house
0: party is shut down. Let's all go over to this party.
3: Exactly, yeah. And it's just, it's it's hard to, it's funny because it's like one of the harder things on Twitch is building an audience and it's hard to like expose your stream to new people because generally all of the channels that you're marketing on uh, to, you know, put this in language of business are your own personal social media channels. So if you've already reached sort of saturation there, this is a really good way to build an audience.
0: Okay, so that's a good raid.
3: That's a good raid. And a hate raid is sort of the opposite thing. Basically, these are coordinated uh, either in Discord or just malicious users on Twitch. There's I, I've been I, I started using TikTok recently, and there's like a a list of like usernames that you need to block going around for small streamers because these people are coordinating hate raids. But basically, a hate raid is doing that like the same the thing I just described, but maliciously. So people will flood your chat. And start calling you slurs, and there's really nothing you can do about it. I mean, you can turn off raids entirely, which is difficult because then you don't get any raids. You can also turn off raids from people you don't follow or whatever. So there's, there's a sp- like some there's sort a of- specific raid mechanism you can turn off. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, a product I think is what uh, a person, uh, like a tech person, would call it. And
0: is that and that's different than just sending a link out to everybody saying let's go
3: harass this person well that That, that, that could work too right that does happen yeah and so that's that 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 version is sort of coordinated in discords um because like you know you can you can spit up a discord Mm -hmm. like very easily immediately frictionlessly which i really appreciate about the service but you know i think at the scale that discord is sort of operating at it's it's hard to police this kind of thing but anyway yeah so a bunch of people come in your chat call you slurs uh, and it's awful for your mental health for your moderator's mental health it's just like it's like, why are you doing this? And is this I, I, yeah, so
0: why are they doing? It? Is it general assholery, or does it tend yeah. to to it's, focus on people of color, or you know? Just,
3: it's yeah, it's it's anybody who is marginalized. Basically, it's like people of color, uh, people who are trans, like everybody, like and people who are smaller streamers too. Which is the other thing that's like kind of fucked up. It's like people who don't necessarily, who might not necessarily have all the protections that a bigger streamer might have.
0: So it's just ge- general bullying, which could have racist right. or other intent.
3: Yeah. Specifically. I think it's specifically, it's always specifically about somebody's identity, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and so when the, the group of assholes shows up
0: at your stream, what happens then? Because in theory, like you can keep streaming, right? what, What are they doing to you while, while, while these guys crash your party with that metaphor?
3: Um, well, uh, you're just, I mean, it's, it's more like you're on stage and there's Mm -hmm. people, a bunch of people come in and heckle you. Mm -hmm. Um, and you either, I mean, you have a few options, which are, you have your moderators block all of the people, which takes time. You turn on your chat to subscribers only, which also like, which works, but also shuts out any of the people who are just watching your channel and chatting who just happen to be there say, from like a good raid, Mm -hmm. um, who don't necessarily follow you or subscribe to you. Um, But basically it means you lock down your channel because that's like, that's the quickest way to deal with it.
0: And the reason this is important, right, is that in streaming, it's not like YouTube or a blog post from the olden days where the comments are, could be foul sewers, but you don't, they're not integral to the product. Right, you can read the story or watch the video and not interact with that. With, with Twitch, you don't have to interact with that, but it seems like it's a component, a, a crucial component to the yeah. The, the
3: interactivity is is really what sets Twitch apart from the other services. Like, it, I mean, YouTube has a live function; it does mostly the same things. Uh, but it's it, there's there is if you haven't if you haven't spent much time on Twitch, it's sort of hard to explain. It's like that interactivity is the thing that makes the magic that makes the site go. Um, right. You're not just watching a live stream. You're watching you're a live stream watching... that's interactive. Yeah. And, you know, people are like and, and the other thing is like people like streamers will play games with their followers. You know, like you, you get to interact with a person on the screen. It's like reaching through the television and it's it's fun. What is Twitch doing about this and what should they be doing? Well, they put out some statements. Um, which, they're not. They're, sure. they're, they're against it. They're against hate raids. Turns out, um, and they said safety features are in the works. But like, it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, okay, but this has been happening for a long time. This is not a new thing, by the way. This is like a sort of old playbook. It's just flared up again, I guess, because people. I mean, there's like a general reactionary bent in gaming, um, as I'm sure you're aware. Mm-hmm. Um, I think GamerGate was like the biggest sort of manifestation of all that, but, or, or I guess the. Not the big, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, there's an undercurrent of this that's always been around. Um, But it's, it's, it's flared up again recently and people have been very vocal about it this time. Um, There are some things you can do to protect yourself. Like there are like a a couple people made tools, like third-party tools to help deal with this. Hold on. Let me, let me, let me make sure I get this right. Commander Roots made a tool that lets you block or ignore followers. Like in mass, which is cool, but it's it's like it's one of these things that like like people have have to program their own sort of panic buttons, uh, and distribute those because Twitch hasn't done anything about it fast enough.
0: So is this the kind of thing that Twitch can solve with products, with programming, with code that actually could be a long-term sustainable fix, or is this an endemic structural thing? that YouTube and Facebook and Instagram all have, which is you have an open platform. That means you have a lot of good stuff. And also it's open, it's an open sewer. And you can't have one without the other, no matter what you say.
3: It's kind of like you can't have one without the other. I mean, I, I would be, I think they're definitely like, this is the other thing. I mean, this. The, I'm not quite as informed on the tech side of this, like the, mm-hmm. the product that you could like create to fix this. But I can I can imagine like, so for example, a few years ago, my friend created this tool um, for Twitter for people getting like massive amounts of hate from like the Gamergate right or whatever, mm-hmm. he called it Mega Block, and it just like you, it was like a block list that had a bunch of like a bunch of people on it, um, and if you blocked someone, you blocked all of their followers. Mm-hmm. Now there's uh, a thing called Block Party that um, my pal Tracy Chow um, developed, and it's an app that basically does like it lets you manage all of the like if you get a bunch of hate online, it lets you manage a bunch of hate, and Twitch doesn't quite have that kind of thing yet. And it's, I think it's also telling that, like, these are what I just mentioned are two third-party tools developed by people who, like, could not stand the way the site was architected. And I think there's a lot of similarities between Twitch and Twitter in that, like, there's a lot of drive-by sort of interactivity. People can find you without following you, like, you know, it's, and that's a good thing until it's not.
0: Right. If you if you're putting on a show in a theater, that's great. You have an audience. They they've paid money. You probably might know who they are. There's kind of a, a built-in gate that, that prevents them from acting outlandishly. Right. Uh, but it limits your audience. If you have an open performance in a park, anyone can come by. Most people will dig it. Someone could throw an egg, and in theory, a lot of people can come throwing eggs.
3: Exactly. And so I think there are some probably technical solutions. Like a lot of these. You know, a lot, it's like a lot of people come in and spam sort of the same thing, like the same sort of set of slurs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, there's a lot of, it, it's not inauthentic behavior, but it's like, I think at the technical level, it might be easier than they might think to discern when a hate raid is happening. Um, if you just look at these things, cause they have, a, they have a signature, right? It's like a bunch of people coming in, spamming slurs, and then presumably leaving or spamming slurs until they all get blocked.
0: So can we learn anything big picture about sort of um, <laughs> Twitch? Twitch and how they're responding, or, or well, just tell Twitch- us, look, this is the nature, the nature of the internet. Like like Adam Osari says, you know, some cars are great and some
3: are going to kill people, and you gotta have you gotta have both. Yeah, it's, it's, I I think it's one of those things that the internet is like, no matter how much it's ruled by private companies, the internet is kind of a public square. uh, And the private companies have, have also tacitly sort of agreed to this. I think Twitch could do a lot more. I always this is I've been saying this for a long time, but I really do think they could do a lot more to protect their streamers. And I think they should do a lot more. They move very slowly, because I think they're very cautious about rolling some of this stuff out, which I mean, you know, I don't have all the I don't have all the facts. Maybe there is a legitimate reason to move slowly on something like this. But like, it's funny, there's, I think I've said this before, but weirdly enough, Twitch, aside from all of this stuff, Twitch is like one of the best moderated sites on the internet. And that is because streamers hire their own moderators. Like you get to set the tone of your channel and it's not like a top-down thing. Like, um, for example, Twitter or, you know, mm-hmm. other social networks.
0: Yeah. It's a it, uh, Reddit similarly, right? Does a good yeah. job of moderating itself or can, right? Because right, people exactly, who care exactly. enough to set those things up will, will take care of them.
3: Exactly. But it's like, it's kind of galling that Twitch hasn't provided tools to like, fi- like to help moderators, to, to help streamers, to like f- kind of fix this stuff. Reminder that Twitch is owned by Amazon. Yes. Um, which exactly. has a lot of resources. So if they want, they can. If they, if they want, they can. And it's, you know, it's like a billion dollar company. It's like, it's, it's,
0: I'm shrugging. You can't see me, but I'm shrugging. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear it. You can hear it. While, while I have you here, one of the conversations we had was about the, this talent wars between Twitch and YouTube oh, yes. and Facebook was in there, is in there. Microsoft was in there for a minute and bailed out. And since then, over the summer, I think actually just a few weeks ago, uh, one of the big high profile streamers who's been on this podcast, Dr. Lupo, and then another one mm-hmm. went from Twitch to YouTube. Is that meaningful or is that someone writing a check
3: and someone saying, okay. And that's all there is to it. Both of those things are true, actually. So I think Lupo was interesting because he he gave an int- uh, an interview to um, Nathan Grayson over the Washington Post, and he was basically talking about how the check from YouTube would allow him to like spend more time with his family and actually get to do stuff. Because the thing about streamers and big streamers is they make a lot of money, yes, but they are literally live on air for tens of thousands of people. Like, every hour of every day.
0: That's what's what really struck me about him, and, and who did I talk to? Tim, who is Tim the, the Temp Man? No, there's a political guy. Um, oh, my oh, God. Oh, you talked to Hassan? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, mixed reaction to Hassan's uh, interview, I, w- I will say, from the Recode Media listeners. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're... I think he's, they I think are, he's great. I don't know. <laughs> they, are, they
3: are stuck to the chair. That's the job. It's a grueling job. And like the thing is, like the more attention you get, the harder it is to take breaks, because the you take breaks, you lose subscribers, you lose revenue, you lose brand deals. And it's like, there's an incentive to keep going always. And that is not healthy. Um, And I think, so I think part of this is like, you know, I think the Lupo thing, I think Tim the Tatman left also to go to YouTube. Uh, It's part of it's getting a check, but it's also like streaming is growing up. Like these people have been streaming live, like for years, it's been a long time. I will continue to entertain you, but I
0: can't be lashed to the wheel. And if you want me to entertain you, you yeah. have to allow me to have a water break and, yeah, exactly. and, and to go to the bathroom and to and, go to bed eventually.
3: Yeah. And it's, and I, 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 you know, like as a person who still streams occasionally, like I, it's like, I, even I, I don't have a lot of, like, I don't do as much streaming as these people do, but like, you know, sitting down and doing stuff for an audience for like two or three hours is grueling. It's like a tough thing to do. Um, if you don't believe me, try it. I think it's interesting because i don't know that i think the talent war sort of overtones have disappeared a bit um i think definitely there's still some machinations in the background because it's not i don't don't think it's a secret that a lot of people who have left twitch for other sites are repped by the same management agency they're called loaded um and i i feel like i've i've i heard whispers when i was you know the twitch whisperer at the verge i heard whispers that you know they were driving very hard bargains for their streamers which is great i think
0: and what we don't know is whether the audience Goes with you when you switch your platform.
3: Yeah, I think your real fans do. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it, you, and we have case studies now because, like, Ninja left. He went to Mixer. His audience dropped a ton, but he still. I mean, he was still streaming to like thousands of people. It wasn't as many, but he did have like a reportedly what thirty million dollar check. Like, right, but he, 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 yeah,
0: he he, he, not not enough of his audience. I trans moved to make it worthwhile for Microsoft to, to and do then, what they were doing.
3: Right, because you can't. You have to buy an ecosystem. You can't buy just one streamer. Um, but he did come back to Twitch and his numbers went back up. I mean, they're like lower now than they were at his peak, but like, I mean, it there's there's like a, I think there's a meme in, on Twitch now and it's like Ninja fell off or it was for a minute, but it's like, who cares, man? Like he's an adult. His shoes are in Walmart. Like who, like this is like a quality of life thing. So I think on the whole, it's a good thing that these streamers are realizing that they can't keep this grind up. They're not in their 20s anymore. It's like, it's tough. It's like you're a real adult human. This is your real adult job and your real adult life. Like spend time with your kids. Bishan, let's get your
0: shoes at, at, at Costco. Tell us how you're going to do that with this new podcast you're working on. God, what is it, what is it
3: and, 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 and when can we listen to it? So my new podcast is called Eclipsed. It's from Campside Media. It's a narrative weekly history show, which are three qualifiers. It's also reported, which are three quali- four qualifiers that make it very difficult to do, but... Great team. We're like doing stories about like lakes that disappear and um, like the destructive power of fruit flies and like stuff that I think is really interesting. Stories from history that got, the con- the is con- stories from history that got overshadowed by other bigger stories. Mm-hmm. And it's been really fun. I've been working on it for a while now and it's coming. So it premieres November 16th, which I believe is a Tuesday. I should look that up for the future. Okay. So um, we're, free, we're we're seeding anticipation right right we're seeding anticipation the trailer drops i think probably the day before this show comes out so synergy man you are
0: you are really ahead of schedule because (laughs) i'm making a narrative podcast the first episode is
3: up and but we're doing the whole laying the track as the train is moving thing oh boy yeah we're gonna be in that place as soon as the train starts moving um which is somewhat terrifying because again we have a bunch of episodes to make and yep. we have made a few of them, and they're good. But yeah, go listen to the trailer, you'll okay. like it.
0: I, I gotta go make some episodes. I'm gonna go, you're gonna go, and we'll we'll keep yeah. talking. Thank you,
3: Bijan Stephen. Steven, good luck. Always a great time, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks again to Bijan, thanks again to Dylan, thanks again to our sponsors, and to you guys. This is Peter Kafka at Recode Media. You know that, I just said all that. For many minutes, you've known who you're listening to. Anyway, we'll be back next week, we'll see you then.